spoiler alert, this podcast will cover events in the most recent aired episode of Game of Thrones on HBO. If you have not seen that episode yet, you may wish to avoid this podcast until you have. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R.R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, you're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Here's your host, Matt Murdock. Hey everybody, welcome to Podcast Winterfell. It's episode 298 of the podcast. This week is our first look at Jamie Lannister entitled The Things We Do for Love. It is a TV-only friendly Game of Thrones discussion. My name is Matt Murdock, and I am from podcastwinterfell.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can also find contact links, social media links, all kinds of great stuff. I apologize for the audio quality of my voice today. I'm recording on my laptop as I'm on the road, but uh, hopefully you can bear with me in regards to that. Um, but you can find all of the contact links if you want to complain about the quality of my audio voice uh, links like at Winterfell pod on Twitter or podcast Winterfell at gmail.com or the listener line three, one, four, six, six, nine, one, eight, four, zero. You can also find podcast app links. And I would love it if you would take the time to leave me a review of the written kind on whatever podcast app you use. It helps me stay more noticeable among the 3 billion other Game of Thrones podcasts that are out there. And it helps me know what you like or dislike about the show. I'm sure since I'm pre-recording these, I'm pretty sure that uh, I've gotten more reviews. I'm going to catch up the list of everybody who's left reviews since the last time I was able to thank people. I will do that on our 300th episode recording, which is coming up the week after Thanksgiving on Monday, November 28th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And I would love it if you would participate in that. We're going to do another fan call-in show where you can talk about either the show or the books. We're going to divide it up. We're going to take the TV-only people first, and then we're going to talk about the book stuff at the end so that the TV-only people can get out of there if they wish. Or the book-only people can show up late if they wish. But if you want to talk about both, you're more than welcome to. It's just that I will put you on hold after you talk about your TV show stuff and then bring you back on for the book section. That way, everybody who listens to this podcast, for whatever reason, can be happy and they can be heard. And I would love to hear your thoughts about what you think about coming up for Season 7 or for Book 6 or any theories that you have out there in regards to the TV show or the books, everything's open for discussion uh, during our 300th episode. And the way you participate is, again, at 10 p.m. Eastern on November 28th. That's a Monday. Dial 724-444-7444. You'll be asked for a show ID. Dial 118884 four and then the pound sign and then if you're a talk shoe member you will be added to the call automatically if not you may be asked for a personal identification number or pin you just dial one and the pound sign and you're added on as a guest your number doesn't show up on any screens or anything like that so you don't have to worry about privacy in that respect and it's a lot of fun We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, and my listeners will hear what your thoughts are. Uh, and we're doing this again in celebration of our 300th numbered episode, which will be released shortly after we recorded on November 28th. Again, thanks so much in advance for your participation in that. I'd really love to hear from you. I think that's enough about the podcast. Why don't we get into talking about Jamie Lannister, The Things We Do For Love.
Of all of the characters in Game of Thrones that we've seen since season one, perhaps the one that has changed our perceptions about that particular character most could be Jaime Lannister. Jaime is a character that we've nearly painted as evil in the beginning of season one. A man who pushed a little boy out the window, after all. A man who broke his oath as a Kingsguard and personally killed the man that he had sworn to protect in the Mad King, King Ares. And yet, through seasons three and four, his reasoning for some of these actions, specifically the latter listed here, seems somewhat justified in a way. Then in seasons five and six, we have come to some further conflictions in terms of some of Jamie's attitudes. All of this makes Jamie one of the most realistic human beings in Game of Thrones, even if we don't always agree with his actions or his attitudes. He's not perfect, nor is he completely broken. He is sometimes measured and sometimes reactive to extremes. He is the epitome of what a person living in a cruel world like this world of Westeros is, making decisions based on a personal code that largely involves love over honor, family over duty. Where some house words such as the Tully family duty honor teach us how to prioritize these things, at least as far as the common Westeros world views it, Jamie's philosophy on how he would approach these concepts seems to be more of an in-the-moment kind of process than other people. Again, it's not that his decisions aren't measured as opposed to, say, like his twin sister Cersei, but no concept takes priority over the other universally where Jamie is concerned. Only what must be served at the time is the way Jamie sees things. I make the comparison to the Tully house word simply to show that Jamie is different, and this is what makes him so much more of a gray character than we would perceive a Ned Stark or a Catelyn Tully Stark. But to understand what drives Jamie's code, we must look back into his past. The Lannister house words, hear me roar, seem exemplary of Jamie as a youth. At age seven, he was jumping off cliffs against his father's wishes, after all. As we perceive the lion is fearless, so Jamie seems to represent that, and even becomes named by King Aerys Targaryen to become a king's guard at a fairly young age. Jamie also showed great love towards his siblings, not only remaining very close with Cersei from a young age, but also really being the only Lannister to seem to care for his younger brother Tyrion at all. And even though his love was well intended towards Tyrion, it did cause some unintended misery actually for both of them. Despite that, Jaime did defend his brother until Tyrion, of course, later killed their father Tywin. Your head was a bit large, your arms and legs were a bit small, but no claw. No red eye, no tail between your legs, just a tiny pink cock. We didn't try to hide our disappointment. That's not a monster, I told Cersei. That's just a baby. And she said he killed my mother. And she pinched your little cock so hard I thought she might pull it off until your brother made her stop. Such a small pack of wolves. Stay back, sir. This is the hand of the king. Was the hand of king. I'm not sure what he is. Lord of somewhere very far away. What's the meaning of this, Lannister? Get back inside, where it's safe. I'm looking for my brother. You remember my brother, don't you, Lord Stark? Blonde hair, sharp tongue, old man. I remember him well. Seems he had some trouble on the road. You wouldn't know what happened to him, would you? He was taken at my command to answer for his crimes. My lord! <laughs> I bring the city watch. Come, Stark. I'd rather you die sword in hand. If you threaten my lord threaten. again. As in, I'm going to open your lord from balls to brains and see what Starks are made of. You kill me. Your brother's a dead man. You're right. Take him alive. 
my brother, Lord Stark. I want him back. I was 16. My brother Jamie and I were riding when we heard a scream. She ran out onto the road, clothes half torn off, with two men on her heels. Jamie scared away the men easily enough while I wrapped her in my cloak. She was too scared to send off on her own, so while Jamie hunted down the rapers, I took her to the nearest inn and fed her. Her name was Taisha. She was a wheelwright's orphan, and she was hungry. Together we finished off three chickens and a flagon of wine. Impossible as it seems, there was a time when I was unaccustomed to wine. I forgot how afraid I was around girls. How I was always waiting for them to laugh at me or look away embarrassed or ask me about my tall, handsome brother. I forgot about everything but Taisha. And somehow I found myself in her bed. For three chickens? I should hope so. <laughs> it didn't last long. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But she was good to me. She kissed me afterwards and sang me a song. And by morning, I was deep enough in love to ask for her hand. A few lies, a few gold coins, one drunken septum, and there you have it, man and wife. For a fortnight anyway, until the septum sobered up and told my father. Well, I imagine that was the end of all that. Not quite. First, my father had Jamie tell me the truth. The girl was a whore, you see. Jamie had arranged the whole thing. The road, the rapers, all of it. He thought it was time I had a woman. And after my brother confessed, my father brought in my wife and gave her to his guards. He paid her well. Silver for each man. How many whores command that kind of price? He brought me into the barracks and made me watch. By the end, she had so much silver that the coins were slipping through her fingers and rolling onto the floor. Your new hand is nicer than the old one. Wouldn't you agree, Pod? Is it solid gold? Gilded steel. You're not eating. Why is no one eating? My wife wastes away and my brother starves himself. I'm not hungry. You lost a hand, not a stomach. The proud Lannister children. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. Oh, I'll clean it. No, I'll do it. Leave us. It's only wine. I can't fight anymore. What about your left? I can hold a sword. All my instincts are wrong. How can I protect the king when I can hardly wipe my own ass? You're the Lord Commander now. Come on, let others do the fighting. When was the last time father used a sword? I'm not father, I'm the Kingslayer. When people find out I can't slay a pigeon. Train then. Learn to fight with your other hand. With whom? You? Men talk. As soon as someone discovers I can't fight, he'll tell everyone. You need a proper, discreet swordsman. As it happens, I have just the one. Me, he would. The day will come when you think you are safe and happy, and your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth. That's what he said to me. You saw it. You saw Joff point at him just I before don't he. Know what I saw. Defend him. to my dynasty if I spare the life of my grandson's killer. It survives through me. I'll leave the king's guard. I'll take my place as your son and heir if you let Tyrion live. Done. When the testimony is concluded and the guilty verdict rendered, Tyrion will be given the chance to speak. He'll plead for mercy. I'll allow him to join the Night's Watch. 
In three days' time, he'll depart for Castle Black and live out his days of the war. You'll remove your white cloak immediately. You will leave King's Landing to assume your rightful place at Casterly Rock. You will marry a suitable woman and father children named Lannister. And you'll never turn your back on your family again. You have my word. And you have mine. You set your brother free, didn't you? I bet your sister didn't like that. Maris set him free. Well, give him my regards. He murdered my father. If I ever see him, I'll split him in two. And then I'll give him your regards. Jamie's relationship with Tyrion is now kind of on a questionable ground due to, of course, Tyrion killing their father. And while it might seem that kinslaying might be the line Jamie would draw on the sand for himself, it is clearly not. Remember that he killed his own cousin to try and escape from the Stark war camp in season two. And in season five, he seemed intent on killing his very brother, Tyrion, who he had defended for so long. But now, because Tyrion has killed Tywin, he seems to want nothing to do with Tyrion anymore. This willingness to be a kinslayer, as well as a kingslayer, makes Jaime an easy target for people to theorize about who or what might bring an end to Cersei eventually. But we also can't discount that much of what Jamie has done, whether we've agreed with it or not, whether for good or ill, has been in the name of his love for Cersei, at least for most of his adult life. And Jamie's relationship with his sister has been a turbulent one in terms of the situation that this relationship has placed him in. An incestuous and adulterous relationship is what sets our main story for Game of Thrones in motion, actually, and that which is the principal cause for the War of the Five Kings. But while we might speculate, as we have in the prior Cersei cast, that his own sister's love for him may not be as strong as Jaime's love for her, we've seen that when it comes to that love, no action is too sacred for Jaime in order to protect and defend what he holds most precious. And, as mentioned before, not always in a nefarious way. His quest to save his daughter Marcella in Dorne was done for what he perceived to be the greater good. His disdain and a plan to try and unite several of the houses against the High Sparrow also seems to have merit for itself when we look upon the fanaticism of the Sparrows as a whole. We do, of course, question many of his choices, however, in defense of their secret love, when it was still a secret, and rightfully so. But Jamie can never be accused of not doing anything he can to protect the love of Cersei and to protect Cersei herself. All of this, despite the fact that it seems Cersei has not always returned the favor. Their relationship has been on its own extremes, from times that Jamie has even forced himself upon Cersei, again, indicating that his perceived love of her might be much more one-sided than a true partnership. Take that also to realizations that perhaps there are things that are more important to Jamie on a larger scale such as sending Brienne with his own gifted Valyrian steel sword to find and defend Sansa Stark. Or maybe even the way you interpret his look at Cersei in the last scene of season six. Maybe he has finally turned against her. But whatever you think of the intricacies of Jaime and Cersei's relationship, and even in the aftermath of the loss of their children, there is no doubt that this relationship has driven the story and much of Jamie's motivations throughout this story. As your brother, I feel it's my duty to warn you. You worry too much. It's starting to show. And you never worry about anything. When we were seven, you jumped off the cliffs at Castle Rock. A hundred foot drop into the water. You were never afraid. There was nothing to be afraid of until you told father. Lannisters, Lannisters don't act like fools. 
What if John Aaron told someone? But who would he tell? My husband. If he told the king, both our heads would be skewered in the city gates by now. Whatever John Aaron knew or didn't know, it died with him. And Robert will choose a new hand of the king's. And life will go on. You should be the hand of the king. That's a none I can do without. Their days are too long, their lives are too short. How could you be so stupid? Calm down. He's a child. Ten years old. What were you thinking? I was thinking of us. You're a bit late to start complaining about it now. What has the boy told them? Nothing. He said nothing. He remembers nothing. Then what are you raving about? What if it comes back to him? He tells his father what he saw. We'll say he was lying. We'll say he was dreaming. We'll say whatever we like. I think we can outfox a ten-year-old. And my husband? I'll go to war with him if I have to. They can write a ballad about us. Let me go. Let me go. The boy won't talk. And if he does, I'll kill him. Him, Ned Stark, the king, the whole bloody lot of them, until you and I are the only people left in this world. Odd little man. I've grown rather fond of him. He's quite talented, you know. What symptoms? <laughs> symptoms that are not your concern. Let him touch you? You jealous? I'm surprised. I never let Paisel near you. <laughs> I think I'd let that old lecher put his hands on me. Drink more than you used to. Yes. Why? Hmm, let's see. You started a brawl in the streets with Ned Stark and disappeared from the capital. My husband died in a tragic hunting accident. It must have been traumatic for you. My only daughter was shipped off to dawn. We suffered through a siege. Well, a short siege. Rather a short siege that I didn't expect to survive. And now I'm marrying my eldest son to a wicked little bitch from Harden. Well, I'm supposed to marry her brother, a renowned pillow biter, so... Father's owned me today. He can't disown you. You're all he's got. You're forgetting Tyrion. You don't really... Plan on staying in the King's Guard, do you? Staying in the King's Guard means I live right here in the Red Keep. Not now. I want. Not now. When? I've been back for weeks. Something's changed. Everything's changed. You come back after all this time with no apologies in one hand and expect everything to be the same. What do you want me to apologize for? For leaving me. You think I wanted to be taken prisoner? I don't know what you wanted. You weren't here. You left me. Alone. Every day I was a prisoner. I plotted my escape. Every day. I murdered people so I could be here with you. It took too long. I... What are you saying? I'm saying you took too long. You're a hateful woman. Why have the gods made me love a hateful woman?
They've made us both stronger. All of them. They've no idea how strong we are. No idea what we're going to do to them. clips, of course, are just a few examples of Jamie demonstrating his willingness to do anything for Cersei, making her his perceived one true anchor, despite the fact that she, of course, has had a sexual relationship with other family members, like her cousin Lancel, and perhaps does not feel as strongly towards Jamie as he does towards her. This, of course, raises the question if Jamie will someday be forced to choose between the queen, his lover, and the greater good for all, just as he had to choose whether to kill the Mad King or instead let the wildfire order be carried out. But only time will tell if and when that may happen with Jamie and Cersei. We need to also see that despite Jamie's seeming appearance to not care all of that much about his father or to reject Tywin on certain matters of opinion, his father has had an influence on his tactical senses. While he was, of course, captured by Rob's forces in Season 1, he has since learned a great deal about his father's tactical sense. And while he has possibly not inherited his father's importance of legacy, he still does have a great deal of pride in the family name. I'm giving you half of our forces, 30,000 men. We'll bring the cattle in Stark's girlhood home and remind her that Lannisters pay their debts. I didn't realize you placed such a high value on my brother's life. He's a Lannister. He might be the lowest of the Lannisters, but he's one of us. And every day that he remains a prisoner, the less our name commands respect. So the Lion does concern himself with the opinions no, of... No, that's not an opinion. It's a fact. If another house can seize one of our own and hold him captive with impunity, we are no longer a house to be feared. Your mother's dead. Before long, I'll be dead. And you, and your brother, and your sister, and all of her children. All of us dead. All of us rotting in the ground. It's the family name that lives on. It's all that lives on. Not your personal glory, not your honor, but family. Do you understand? You're blessed with abilities that few men possess. You're blessed to belong to the most powerful family in the kingdoms. And you're still blessed with youth. And what have you done with these blessings, huh? served as a glorified bodyguard for two kings. One a madman, the other a drunk.
The future of our family will be determined in these next few months. We could establish a dynasty that will last a thousand years. Or we could collapse into nothing, as the Targaryens did. I need you to become the man you were always meant to be. Not next year, not tomorrow. Now. Magnificent. Mm -hmm. Looks fresh forged. It is. There are three living smiths who know how to rework Valyrian steel. The finest of them was in Valanis. He came here to King's Landing at my invitation. Where did you get this much Valyrian steel? From someone who no longer had need of it. We've wanted one of these in the family for a long time. And well, now we have two. Two? The original weapon was absurdly large. Plenty of steel for two swords. Well, thank you. It's glorious. You'll have to train your left hand. Any decent swordsman knows how to use both hands. You'll never be as good. No. But as long as I'm better than everyone else, I suppose it doesn't matter. You can't serve in the King's Guard with one hand. Where's that written? I can and I will. The King's Guard oath is for life. The war is over. The King is safe. The King is never safe. Other knights protected the King while you were a prisoner. They will continue to do so when you go home. Home? You'll return to Casterly Rock and rule in my stead. You are the Lord of Casterly Rock. I am the King's hand. My place is here. I don't expect to see the rock again before I die. You know what they call me? Kingslayer, Oathbreaker, man without honor. Now you want me to break another sacred vow. You won't be breaking anything. There is a precedent to relieve a king's guard of his duties. The king will exercise that prerogative. No. No? No. I don't believe I asked you a question. There's my answer. If you think your bloody honor comes before My your bloody family. honor is beyond repair. But my answer, you'll know. I don't want Castle Rock. I don't want a wife. I don't want children. What do you want? Supper would be nice. For 40 years, I've tried to teach you. If you haven't learned by now, you never will. Go. If serving as a glorified bodyguard is the sum of your ambition, go serve. I suppose you want the sword back. Keep it. A one-handed man with no family needs all the help he can get. You'd condemn your own son to death. I've condemned no one. The trial is not over. This isn't a trial. It's a farce. Cersei has manipulated everything, and you know it. I know nothing of the sort. You've always hated Tyrion. He killed his king. As did I. Do you know the last order the Mad King gave me? To bring him your head. I saved your life so you could murder my brother. It won't be murder, it'll be justice. Justice? I'm performing my sworn duty as Hand of the King. If Tyrion is found guilty, he will be punished accordingly. He'll be executed. No, he'll be punished accordingly. Once you said, family is what lives on. All that lives on. You told me about a dynasty that would last a thousand years. What happens to your dynasty when Tyrion dies? I'm a king's guard, forbidden by oath to carry on the family line. I'm well aware of your oath. What happens to your name? Who taught you to read? My father, my lord. Hmm. Taught my son Jamie to read. Maester came to me one day, told me he wasn't learning. He could make sense of the letters. He reversed them in his head. Maester said he'd heard tell of this affliction and that we simply must accept it. Huh. After that, I sat Jamie down for four hours every day until he learned. He hated me for it, for a time, for a long time. But he learned. Just think about how Jamie's tactical sense enabled him to recapture River Run quickly enough in order to return to King's Landing to see the aftermath of the wildfire. And when you think about it, because of Tywin's emphatic denial of Cersei and Jamie's own relationship, as well as a fear of consequences, a legacy of Jamie's own is something that he's never really had. 
It's something that has had to be sacrificed to a degree. His three children, Joffrey, Marcella, and Tommen, could never be openly shown affection by him due to the secret that had to be kept in regards to their lineage. When Robert was still alive, that secret, of course, could have cost him and Cersei, and perhaps their children, their lives. And now, after Robert's death, Cersei and Tywin's need for the family to remain in power, despite what Tywin knew or didn't know, dictated that the secret continue to be kept, or at very least, denied. As a result, Jamie's love for his children could never actually be shown, and in some ways resulted in the need to restrain himself when certain confrontations with those children arose. And, of course, each of his children now have died. Whether you believe that to be a result of the prophecy or not, I can't help but feel that this has resulted in a further hardening of Jamie, despite how honorable or dishonorable anyone may see him. Marcella seemed to be the only one who he truly began to have a father-child relationship at all with, and that, of course, ended tragically at the hands of the Sand Snakes just as it was beginning. Joffrey never seemed to be aware of him in any other capacity, except as his Kingsguard, and Tommen actually retired Jaime from the Kingsguard because of the High Sparrow's influence. So, whether Jaime would have actually been a good father or not to any of his children is somewhat difficult to speculate on because he never really got the chance. They know I saved the city. They know I won the war. The war's not won. Why Stannis lives. I broke Stannis on the Blackwater. I pity you weren't there to help, Uncle. My apologies, Your Grace. I was rather busy. Busy getting captured. So this is the famous Book of Brothers. All the great deeds of all the great kings go out, huh? Sir Duncan the Tor. <laughs> Four pages for Sir Duncan. He must have been quite a man. So they say. Sir Jamie Lannister. <laughs> Someone forgot to write down all your great deeds. There's still time. Is there? For a 40-year-old knight with one hand? How can you protect me with that? I use my left hand now, Your Grace. Makes for more of a contest. When you attack the faith, you attack the crown. Anyone who attacks the crown is unfit to serve as Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. I've been a member of the Kingsguard since before you were born. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do anything. I have to answer to the gods. Not when you're sitting in that chair. The Crown's decision on this matter is final. Will I be walking naked in the streets? Or will I spend a few months in the Sept Dungeons first to teach me about the gods' mercy? You have served your house and your king faithfully for many years, and you will continue to do so, but not in this city. Have you ever known your mother to like anyone aside from her children? She likes you. I'm not so sure about that. Listen, there's something I wanted to tell you. Something I should have told you long ago. So, now that you've seen more of the world, you've learned how complicated things can be, people can be. The Lannisters and the Martells have hated each other for years, but you've fallen in love with Tristane. It was an accident, really. I mean, what were the chances? You happened to fall in love with the man you were assigned to marry? <laughs> My point is, we don't choose whom we love. It just, well, it's beyond our control. I sound like an idiot. No, you don't. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying and failing to say. I know what say. you're trying to say. No, I'm afraid you don't. I do. I know. About you and mother. I think a part of me always knew. And I'm glad. I'm glad.
glad that you're my father. All of this comes down to one of Jamie's most famous phrases from season one, the things we do for love. A phrase that has resurfaced from time to time in the show, and of course, is the title of this podcast. Is this the most basic core principle of Jamie's code? For good or ill, it would seem that you could link that statement to many of the decisions Jamie has made. This has led some to believe that because Jamie's code is so strongly tied to love, then there must be maybe some type of love connection between him and Brienne of Tarth, given some of the decisions he has made in regards to her. I, for one, am not so much in that camp as some are, but I can see why some people would like for something like that to happen. Regardless of how Jamie or Brienne feel about one another, they have shared a great deal of information to each other about Jamie's past, especially in regards to why he slayed the king. It must be strange for you coming into this room. I'm standing right here when it happened. It was very brave, your brother, and your father too. They didn't deserve to die like that. Nobody deserves to die like that. But you just stood there and watched. 500 men just stood there and watched. All the great knights of the Seven Kingdoms, you think anyone said a word, lifted a finger? No, Lord Stark. Five hundred men, and this room was silent as a crypt. Except for the screams, of course. And the Mad King laughing. And later, when I watched the Mad King die, I remembered him laughing as your father burned. It felt like justice. Is that what you tell yourself at night? You're a servant of justice. That you were avenging my father when you shoved your sword in Ares Targaryen's back. Tell me, if I stabbed the Mad King in the belly instead of the back, would you admire me more? You served him well. When serving was safe. Jamie Lannister, son of the mighty Tywin. So come on. We're telling war stories. Who was your first kill, not counting old men? One of the outlaws in the Brotherhood. I was there that day. You were only a squire, seen years old. You killed Sam and Toyn with the counter passed. Best move I ever saw. Good fighter, Toyn. But he lacked stamina. You're outlaw. Any last words? I cut his head off, so now. What about Aerys Targaryen? What did the Mad King say when you stabbed him in the back? I never asked. Did he call you a traitor? Did he plead for a reprieve? He said the same thing he'd been saying for hours. Burn them all. There it is. That's the look. I've seen it for 17 years and face after face. You all despise me. Kingslayer. Oathbreaker. Man without honor. You heard of wildfire? Of course. Mad King was obsessed with it. He loved to watch people burn. Made their skin blackened, blistered, and melted off their bones. He burned lords he didn't like. He burned hands who disobeyed him. He burned anyone who was against him. Before long, half the country was against him. of traitors everywhere. So he had his pyromancer place caches of wildfire all over the city. Beneath the sap of Baylor and the 
slums of Fleet Bottom, under houses, stables, taverns, even beneath the Red Keep itself. Finally, the day of reckoning came. Robert Baratheon marched in the capital after his victory at the Trident. But my father arrived first. The whole Lannister army at his back, promising to defend the city against the rebels. I knew my father better than that. It's never been one to pick the losing side. I told the Mad King as much. I urged him to surrender peacefully. But the king didn't listen to me. He didn't listen to Varys, who tried to warn him. But he did listen to Grand Maester Pycelle and Grey Sunken Cunt. You can trust the Lannisters, he said. The Lannisters have always been true friends of the crown. So... We opened the gates and my father sacked the city. Once again, I came to the king, begging him to surrender. He told me to bring him my father's head. Then he turned to his pyromancer. Burn them all. Burn them in their homes, burn them in their beds. Tell me if your precious Randy commanded you to kill your own father and stand by while thousands of men, women and children burned alive, would you have done it? Would you have kept your oath then? First, I killed the pyromancer, and then when the king turned to flee, I drove my sword into his back. Burn them all, he kept saying. Burn them all. I don't think he expected to die. He, he meant to burn with the rest of us and rise again. Reborn as a dragon turn his enemies to ash. Now we have seen some of this man and his motivations past and some still persistently in the present, and we've explored the possible reasoning for some of his actions, either good or bad. But in the next episode, we will explore what it means in terms of his overall honor and examine whether anything has changed over the course of time or merely our perception has changed over the course of time, and he has always been the same person. And hey guys, thanks so much for listening this week. Really appreciate you taking the time to listen in to our first look of Two Looks at Jamie. And we will be back in two weeks. I'm taking Thanksgiving week off. It'll give me a chance to catch up on some more recording, hopefully. Don't forget, the Monday after Thanksgiving, 10 p.m. Eastern, you can go to TalkShoe.com and participate just in the chat room if you wish. 
Go to TalkShoe.com on November 28th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can uh, look for the Podcast Winterfell Fan Call-In Show. Join the chat room that way. Get involved in the conversation that way. The information on how to call in is available in the chat room as well. But I'll give it to you one more time. I'd love to hear from you. TV show or books, either or, uh, or both. We You just dial 724-444-7444. And then you will be asked for the show ID 118884 and the pound sign and then if asked for a pin just dial one and the pound and you will be added to the call i'll be taking tv only callers first then we'll take book callers after that if you want to talk about both you can i'll just be putting you on hold until we get to the book part after you've talked about your tv part i can't wait to hear from you and thanks again so much for listening we will return in two weeks with jamie part two Here's Axel Foley to tell you how to contact me. You've been listening to Podcast Winterfell. Find the podcast blog at podcastwinterfell.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter, twitter.com slash winterfellpod. Contact the podcast either by email, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com, or by calling the listener line. 314 669 1840.